0: Good Tuesday morning, guys. My name is Jerry Miller, and this is the Jerry and Jerry Show. Thank you kindly for joining us. We are live in Charlottesville, Virginia, about one mile from Scott Stadium and the John Paul Jones Arena, and the grounds that Thomas Jefferson built and envisioned. Today's program, a lot to cover from a football, basketball, and ACC standpoint. We'll even talk Virginia Sports Hall of Fame news. We have some breaking news at the 11 o'clock marker, 11 a.m., when it comes to Parrish Jones, a household name for Wahoo Nation. So much to cover on the show. Anywhere you're watching this program upon, please give the show a like and a share. I see Angela Morberley, uh offering some perspective here, saying, Go Hokies! A very impressive victory for your football team, Angela. She's watching North of Town and Culpepper. Thank you kindly for joining us. Judah Wittkauer, our director and producer. Hootie Ratcliffe, the star of our show. If we can welcome Hootie to the program. 40-plus years on this beat, a Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, an all-around A-plus guy, a man who enjoys Thanksgiving and football and basketball and the holidays like all of us. My friend, we are now a couple of days from December. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well, and I hope
0: you are. I'm doing quite well. Um, we, uh, you were there. Um, I watched it um, on television. Virginia Tech and UVA, an outcome that left many um, in Oahu Nation um, angry, disappointed, um, demoralized, asking questions. Um, I'll start open-ended with you. Where do you want to go on this football game that was clearly one-sided?
1: Yeah, Twitter was on fire. I saw. I saw. <laughs> and into Sunday and, yeah. and continues on, I guess. But uh, that's the world we live in. I didn't see that coming. I thought, uh, I thought on paper this game was, was a fairly even contest. Uh, Virginia had been playing well Virginia Tech really had dropped off a little bit had lost at home to NC State Uh, I thought coming in that uh, again on paper that the two teams were were fairly even I expected a decent game Um, I I look back at something that Tony Elliott said earlier in the week when he said he didn't uh, he, he was going to that he had learned at south uh, at Clemson in their rivalry with South Carolina when they lost five I think in a row to the Gamecocks that they shouldn't make it anything special that it should be just another game, and he didn't want to put too much pressure on his players in this rivalry, and I thought, well, you know maybe that's maybe that's a better approach because everything else hasn't worked where Bronco was fanatical about it to the point where he had a a countdown clock uh, above the locker room door year-round ticking down to the Virginia Tech game. Um, Obviously the new approach didn't work. It was a disaster. Um, I've always believed growing up uh, that your rivalry game, you've got to throw everything you've got into it. Pull out all stops every trick play you've got if necessary you know whatever it takes to win and listening to uh, some of some of the analysts who played college and pro football uh, over the weekend I uh, heard one guy talk about how he played for Florida and how much he uh hated Florida State <clears throat> and he would pour himself into that game he said other games I would play uh fiercely and for fun and and in, enjoy the moment and uh, just how much joy I got out of playing football, but he said for the Florida State game, it was about nothing but malice. <laughs> and he, he he was even getting uh, excited about it uh, 20 years after the fact. But I think they're going to have to reexamine how they approach this game in the future and because obviously just making it another game doesn't work. And we, we saw the evidence of that Saturday night.
0: That, um, Stephanie Rhodes, watching the program in Keswick, she says, I support my Wahoos 100% till death do us part, Stephanie says, but they did not show up on Saturday night. Grayson watching um, in North Downtown right here and says, this might have been the lowest point for me as a Wahoo fan. Grayson, I concur with that statement. I was going to ask Cootie Ratcliffe something in that realm in a matter of minutes. The Elliott quote where he tried to, if anything, de-amplify the significance of the rivalry caught me off guard. Um, I've mentioned in previous shows, my dad went to UVA, my brother went to UVA, I went to UVA. I've uh, been going to UVA games since I was knee-high to my dad. I work for you in the sports department at the local newspaper. We all realized the significance of it. Mm-hmm. Did talk radio and television. Those teams, when I was doing it, all realized the significance of it. What I saw Saturday, and I'm going to get out of your way here, was a stadium that was empty considering it was a rivalry game. They said it was, what, 43,000?
1: I think that was the announced attendance. Announced
0: <clears throat> attendance. There's no. no way there was 43 there.
1: No, it didn't seem like
0: It didn't seem that way. At the end of the game, more Hokie fans than Wahoo fans. Um, I saw a football team in Virginia Tech come back on the field 45 minutes after the game was over. I found that, and I'm giving props to the Hokies for, for, for dominating a game. They dominated. Props to them. I thought coming back on the field 45 minutes after the contest when you're the visiting team was disrespectful. I would agree. I thought the sprinkler's coming on. Maybe they attribute it to an accident. Maybe it's not an accident. Wasn't an accident. Was not an accident. We all know that. Um, Shows the significance of the rivalry. I was just taken aback by Coach Elliott's comments saying, I'm not trying to emphasize the importance of this game.
1: Yeah, them coming back on the field was akin to uh, what Steve, I guess it was Steve Sperrier and Duke did down at North Carolina all those years ago. And and the Tar Heel people have still never forgiven or forgotten that. It wasn't an accident that the sprinklers came on. I I found out who did it, and he did it uh, with glee. And um, I can't confirm this because I haven't had time, but I was was told last night that uh, he was given an ultimatum to apologize for doing that or lose his job. Uh, So... uh, anyways it, it, that's just part of the rivalry and and, and uh, we've seen a lot of wacky stuff over the years but um yeah i was surprised by that statement i i, I gave it thought and said well you know maybe maybe he's on to something i don't know but it was it goes against the grain of everything that i had been taught in football And I I hang around most of my life. I've hung around a lot of coaches, um, have a lot of them who are friends, and uh, wanted to be a coach originally in my youth. And, again, that goes against the grain of everything I've ever learned about rivalries. And I, I would imagine that he will take a different approach next time.
0: Yeah, Michael Plecker watching the program. He says that I love when UVA wins games, whether basketball, baseball, or football. It's great for the Charlottesville area. Uh, Michael Plecker, one of the Shenandoah Valley's finest backstops, a catcher from the Valley, played in the New York Mets farm system. He said, But when UVA plays Virginia Tech, my heart is always in, in Blacksburg. I respect that comment. Holly Foster is watching in Henrico. She says, I was at the beach surrounded by Virginia Tech fans. It was depressing. We changed to another game because it was such a one-sided contest. UVA will regret the sprinklers. They have to go to Blacksburg next year. Payback is hell. Holly, it's good to see you watching our programs. We appreciate your viewership. Did you see Virginia Tech's uh, head coach on Twitter yesterday or the day before? He was in his office. The Commonwealth Cup was on the coffee table in front of him. The Blacksburg, uh, the Virginia Tech scoreboard was in the background. He was sitting on his couch, he was drinking a coffee out of a maroon cup, and I'm paraphrasing here. He said, "Man, this coffee tastes good. What a great day to drink this coffee." Basically, highlighting the dominance over UVA uh, on Saturday. It went viral that video.
1: I'm sure it did, and <clears throat> I mean, hats off to the Hokies. They played a phenomenal football game, and. Maybe their best game of the year. 100%. Or, and maybe in years, I'm not sure, but uh, they did. They dominated every aspect of it, and you got to salute them for getting up for the game and wanting it that badly. Uh, yeah, I mean, to the victor goes the spoils. Julius Caesar said that centuries ago and still holds true. And I think, um, you know, uh, Brent Pride made mention of that at the ACC kickoff in Charlotte back in June, or excuse me, late July, when he said, This is, we want to own this state. Uh, we consider this our state. We want to dominate it. We want to be the team. Um, the reporter who left immediately from his table and came in and interviewed Tony Elliott and mentioned that to Elliott, and Elliott kind of laughed and said, well, you know, what else is he supposed to say? He said, we want to be the dominant team in the state as well. And so that's when the verbal uh, Cold War part of it began, I guess. And then uh, it was carried over to the field Saturday night, and and Tech took a major leg up in in that. They already had one, really, because how they've dominated the series so much. But uh, that the word reestablished since there was no game last year that this sort of re reestablished the I guess the tech dominance in the in the series that goes back over a hundred years. Um, Virginia Tech, as you said,
0: every aspect of the game, utter dominance. The quarterback looked like he was walking on water, um, missed tackles everywhere. Um at times, it looked like a varsity football team playing against a JV football team.
1: Explosive play after explosive play. Big play
0: after big play. Calandria, there were many times in that game I felt bad for him. Like, I genuinely felt bad for him. He was getting physically beat up, hmm. had very little protection. You, He's a freshman. You could see the disappointment on his face. You could see the pain he was feeling you know, feeling, because he was getting roughed up. Um, is there anything Virginia can take from this to uh, potentially parlay into a positive?
1: Uh, that's, I, I don't, if there is, we'll have to search for it, but uh, a couple of things, you know, going back to how much it meant to Tech, and not only were they playing for a bowl game, but all the other things we mentioned... But it meant a lot to them in terms of not making it just an ordinary game because they had a lot of their alumni football players text and send videos into the players uh, telling them they can't lose this game. They had Frank Beamer to show up and talk to the team. They had Bud Foster come in and talk to the team. And I think there's always been a perception in the tech program that, Virginia's football players are soft, and I think they were trying to offer some sort of intimidation early on. I, I think the two roughing the passing uh, passer penalties against Calendria—I I think that was on purpose. One hundred percent. One hundred percent agree with trying you. Trying to uh, rattle him early to set the tone. Set the tone. Yeah. Uh, to prove that they were the bullies. They're more physical. And yeah. For kicking sand in the face of the Virginia players. So I, I think that's something that Tony Elliott and his program are going to have to face and overcome because there is that perception out there. And, you know, the, they didn't do anything to disprove that. Uh, I'm not calling Virginia players soft because I know they're not, but if their perception is that way by your main rival, then you the only way to do anything about that is to is to beat them and show them that's not not the case. So um it's going to be interesting to see how Virginia rebounds from this. Uh, they've got to live with this until next September, until they get a chance to actually play another opponent.
0: Coach Elliott has won one ACC home football game in 2 years.
1: He's mm-hmm.
0: got 6 wins. Um he's got a a loss to Virginia Tech that, you know, as a Virginia guy myself, I mentioned this to my wife, my brother and my father, also Virginia guys, that this could be the lowest point that I felt as a fan. Shows the importance of football. In your 40-plus years of covering athletics, where do you stack up this time and place versus previous time and places, and do you have to go as far back as Randall and Beswick for comparison?
1: Yeah. Uh, Oh, and and I meant to mention this as far as knowing that Virginia's players are not soft because I know for a fact that one of the starting offensive linemen, Noah Josie. His mom tweeted it. He had the flu. Yeah. Yeah. We were told, I don't know if it's true or not, but we were told that the entire offensive line had the flu. Uh, I know that Josie was playing with uh, injuries. I know that um, um, uh, Mikel Boley was playing with an injured hand and an injured ankle. Uh, I know that a couple other guys on the offensive line were playing injured. So uh, if you're soft, you wouldn't be playing in those games. But – uh, moving on to what you said, I, I don't think we necessarily have to go back to Randall and Bestwick. I think this, to me, this reminds me a lot of the the end of the Mike London era, a little bit of the end of the Algro era, when they were um, both of those programs at the time were, were losing some games that they probably shouldn't lose. Uh, we're struggling to recruit a little bit. Um, couldn't beat Tech. Uh, so um, I, I, probably more toward the end of the London era, more than anything. But again, toward the end of, uh, grow Gro would tell you that the end of his era wasn't a pleasant time either. Um, the question is, I guess, you know, what are you going to do about it? Um, Back then, the athletic administration forced coaching changes in both of those regimes, and neither one of them worked. Um, I don't foresee there. I don't foresee that there's going to be any changes in this staff. Uh, I could be wrong, but I, I don't. I don't see any coming. And if they are, I don't think they'll be immediate. Uh, Particularly, uh, there won't be a change of head coach. Uh, although I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are crying for Tony Elliott's head right now, but I don't think that's going to happen because they uh, they did show progress the second half of the season. Uh, they did have a couple of really bad hiccups against Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech, uh, embarrassing losses really. But I don't think that's going to be enough for a coaching change, and so I, I think they're confident that he can – Make some strides uh, next year, and, and if I would say that if he if he can't win next year, then I, I would think his time is job up. Job is on the chopping block. Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: Hootie Ratcliffe is going to break some news on this program at 11 a.m. in regards to Paris Jones. We are waiting um, till the 11 a.m. 11 a.m. marker to give you that update. Ray Cadell watching the program for Hootie. Uh, he says, "I'm a hokey dad, Hootie." And while it's always a big day in my family, this one felt a little uncomfortable. Is UVA really that bad? Is this recruiting? Is this coaching? And the game wasn't close to sold out. There were a ton of Hokie fans there as well. What is going on?
1: Well, I think there's a lot of Hokie dads out there, including me. One of my daughters went to Virginia Tech and is a big Hokie fan, so... uh... In terms of the uh, the fans, you know that was that was shocking. I expected a full house, if not by Virginia's uh, by Virginia Tech is what I expected. Yeah, I thought enough Hokies would show up to (laughs) to sell out the stadium because they normally do. Maybe they had a harder time getting tickets this year. I I think Virginia did something a couple years ago to try to discourage Tech fans from filling up their stadium. Um I, I still I was surprised there were that few of people in the stands. I mean, you could look at certain parts of the building and there would be 15 20 rows with nobody on them. And that's uh for a rivalry game. I mean, right. That's somewhat shocking to me because it that just doesn't happen and other places around the country as a rule. I mean, I'm sure there are exceptions, but uh, I watched as much college football as I could this past weekend because I'm a Heisman voter and I try to see everything that's going on. And, um, you know, most of those rivalry games were packed and people still out in the tailgate area, watching it on TVs outside the stadium in a lot of cases. So uh, it's a shame that this rivalry has come to this, to where it's, uh, it's so lopsided and that there's so, lack, so much lack of interest in a game that should be the game of the year. Roger Voizunay
0: giving us some props. Logan Wells-Klelo giving us some props right now. Johnny Ornalis, hello, Chad Wood, Carly Wagner, Gary Palmer, Betsy Nugent, fantastic tennis fundamentals from Coach Nugent right there. John Snow, Woody Fincham, Jamie Turner, Adam Sylvester, just to name a few watching the program. Got five different states watching the Jerry and Jerry Show as we are chatting right now.
1: And you know, and I and I think you know maybe some Virginia fans saw it coming or. Just didn't want to be part of it because, or, or because worse. they didn't want to watch Tex fans rush the field and didn't want to see their team get dominated and have to sit through it.
0: Or worse than that, maybe it's apathy.
1: Could be apathy. I'm, there is tons of apathy around the football program. Which is out. even
0: worse than anger
1: because yeah. apathy is yeah. no engagement. Exactly. It's disinterest. I remember Bronco said, I'd rather them be upset than not care. And he said, you know, because I'm I'm upset. And, you know, it's good that they're upset. That means that they... They
0: they, care. They give a
1: damn, yeah. Right, right. Um, The questions are coming
0: in faster than I can keep up. Um, This one is a headline you and I talked about before the show. For uh, Hootie, it's not Mr. Ratcliffe, it's Hootie or Jerry. Um... Which players are going to hit the portal from this team?
1: Well, that's to be determined. I I don't know. Uh, you don't know who's happy, who's not happy. Uh, I know that I, if I'm a Virginia football coach right now, I'm probably scared to death because rumors are flying that some players are going to leave. I don't know who, don't know how many. Uh, we won't know until it happens. I, I do know that at least three of the stars of the team have been approached by someone. Uh, a lot of these programs have what you call runners who... Record, gauge interest. They gauge interest. They they will say, uh, hey... Uh, s- Crappensburg State would uh, entertain the thoughts of paying you $200,000 a year if you enter the transfer portal. And so that puts pressure on a player who might be borderline. And if he hesitates and says, well, you know, I'll think about it, uh, then by the time he makes up his mind, Crappensburg State has put those offers out to a lot of other teams or players and uh, it's first come first serve, and so uh, there's a lot of that going on right now. and uh, so you know, even if you jump in the transfer portal, if you jump late, you may not that opportunity might dry up, which accelerates the whole process if by forcing guys to jump in. and sometimes guys will jump in, Crappensburg State will take somebody else that they like better. And you're hanging on the vine, so uh, it's going to be interesting. I, I've been told that Malachi Fields, wide receiver Anthony Calandria, A quarterback, and Cam Robinson, probably the best defensive player, have all been approached. Uh, I don't know this. I don't. I don't have confirmation of that from the right people, but I've been told that by people in the know. Um, that would make sense. And and it does make sense because yeah. if you're a, a program who's borderline good or even good and you need to shore up some spots or you need to add some guys, quality players to your roster to take you to the next level, they're going to come after the best players at Virginia, at Virginia Tech, at anybody who's Around 500 or below, or and they may even go after some players who may be discontented with their coach or playing time, even at a at a good school. I mean, uh, I understand that at least three Miami players have already announced, including their quarterback, have announced that they're entering the transfer portal. So. Uh, it was all over Twitter the last two days that so-and-so uh, is going to enter the portal.
0: Uh, Rob Craig watching the program, he bleeds origin blue. We often see him at the uh, scores table for Virginia basketball games. Mm-hmm. He says, at this point, UVA football should embrace that they're the rays or the athletics of college football. He's making a Major League Baseball reference there. Mm-hmm. He says, go after one Two-year rental players, one- or two-year rental players, and understand anyone who plays well will probably transfer due to UVA's significant lack of serious NIL funds. Rob Craig also says this. This is a very good comment. If Malik Washington had another year of eligibility left, he would be looking at million-dollar offers from other colleges. Sure would. And UVA cannot compete with that. That's
1: very true. And that's one of the issues in the transfer portal that Virginia is having to deal with. And uh, I don't know how much state legislation has to do with it, because I think it affects Virginia Tech to some degree as well. But I, I think um, some other schools that are not state schools in this state uh, are using the NIL to their advantage. Uh, he's right about Washington. He would he would be million or more, most likely in a, in a really big time school. Big time school. Um, his timing was off by a year, I guess. It yeah, really was. <laughs> um, but you know, you can make a lot of money in the portal these days if you're a, a pretty good player and. <clears throat> And I don't think Virginia supplies, I may be wrong, but I've been told that Virginia doesn't supply any NIL money for for freshmen, and for guys transferring in, uh, it pales in comparison to what they could get at other schools. It's just uh, the world we're in right now, and I don't know how much of it is <coughs> philosophical for Virginia. How much of it is just uh, stubbornness that they don't want to go that route? But uh, I don't know how they can compete in modern football unless they make some <coughs> adjustments to that theory and and those principles. I, I just unless there's a, there's been a perception around this state. And some outside the state for years, decades. That Virginia just doesn't give a flip about football. That most of its resources have gone into basketball, um, <coughs> and and the Olympic sports. Yeah, and you know I I know they're building the building over there. It probably should have been built when Al Groh got here in 2000 early 2000s. Um. They admitted that years later that they didn't listen to him and made mistakes, and they've been paying for it. Uh, I mean, George Welsh, the last time I saw George Welsh alive, he was sitting down in the uh, break room at JPJ drinking coffee, reading newspapers, and and we were just talking, and he said that Virginia had the worst facilities in the ACC. And Bronco mentioned that in his initial speech when he accepted the job, that his goal was to get a new facility, home, a f- home for football, uh, as soon as possible. And, and here it is. He didn't even stick around long enough to see the fruition. And he, I think he gave $500,000 to get things started. But, um, I mean, it's... It, they're going to have to sit back and make some hard decisions on on what they're going to do or there's just going to be more of this. You know, some people, I know some of the fan base is, is crying for a new head coach, but I'm not sure if you bring in Nick Saban in here with a cast of all-star coaches, if they could do a whole lot better under the circumstances. I mean, there are advantages at other schools, academically and NIL-wise, et cetera, that Virginia can't compete with at, at this present time and unless Virginia makes some changes. And I, I don't know that they're willing to do that. So if that's the case, if you're a Virginia fan, you're just going to have to live with that and hope for the best.
0: Um, Larry Redwing giving you some props. Edward Jenkins giving you some props. Um, you got you got a lot of Wahoos watching this program right now. Um, I'm going to get to your comments. If you have questions for Hootie Ratcliffe, put them wherever you're watching this show, in the feed. We will aggregate them and throw them to the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, Jerry Ratcliffe. I have a couple, myself, Nicholas Erpey. Welcome to the program. Thank you kindly for joining us. Anthony Calandria. This kid's future is bright. He is a gamer. As he matures, some of these mistakes that come with youth will be cut out of what he does on the field. I'm going to give you some statistics. This was put on Twitter by Danny Neckel, who follows this team very closely. He's
1: a a great researcher of stats. Oh, my gosh. He's fantastic
0: on stats. This is what he put out within the last 24 hours. Anthony Calandria finished the season averaging 272.9 total yards per game. Those 272.9 total yards ranked in the following. They ranked 32 in the nation, number 3 in the ACC, number 3 among freshmen in the entire country, and number 1 among freshmen in Power 5 conferences. The kid is a baller. I am extremely fearful, nervous, concerned that If he goes and he is coveted because he plays the position of merit, that it could create a domino effect. If you're Mr. Fields, the wide receiver, and you lose your quarterback of the future, you're more apt to leave, even though you have ties to Charlottesville. Your thoughts on Calandria and what the coaching staff has to do to keep him in town.
1: Yeah, uh, and and his stats would probably rank even higher had he played the entire season instead of... Partially, but I don't, I can't prove this because again, I haven't had the time to research it. But I was told yesterday that Calandria's family, who I, I think are, are fairly well off, a uh, beautiful family, I, I've been told that the Calandrias have bought a, a, a house here, uh, anticipating him being here for the next three years. I, I don't know that's a fact but I've been told that. Uh, if that's the case, I probably don't have to worry about him leaving. I'm not sure that he's a guy that's going to leave because of money. I think their family is, is is doing okay. So if you lose Calandria, it'll be more about uh, him being uh, unsure or yeah. disenchanted yeah. Or, or wanting to go somewhere where he can win. And go to bowl games, and, and whether it depends on whether he believes that this coaching staff can turn it around. And all indications are that he he does believe that, and will stay. Uh, I could be wrong. We, you know, you never know what a kid's thinking um, until you unless you get to talk to them and get to know them pretty well. And um, he hasn't given anything but an indication that he's. Uh, bought into this program and and we'll we'll stick around so I I don't think they have to worry about him Cam Robinson turned down I would imagine some pretty good NIL money to sign here in the first place because he was being recruited by I think it came down to Virginia, Florida State and South Carolina Uh, maybe Tennessee was in the mix, I can't remember but I know the other two were and I'm sure that they have NIL money out the Yang that they've Lure, you know, put a carrot out in front of him, and that was not enough to get him to change his mind. Malachi, I don't know. Um, I, I, I don't know his situation. I he, he I would think he would have to be pretty happy with his role on the team because it's going to expand next year. Big time. I, he'll be the principal receiver, just like Washington was this year. And uh, so, I, if he's unhappy, there's no. Uh, no outwardly signs of that. But uh, it's enough to make people nervous because you never know how big the check's going to be on the other end. And you don't know if some of these kids, that money's not the important thing, but they have to be sure that there's something for them in the future. Like... A winning campaign and a bowl game. I mean, that's what guys play for. They're not. They're not really playing for the money. I mean, it's a nice addition, but uh, when it comes down to it, I, I think they they want to win. And if they think they can win here, I think they would stay. If they don't think they can win here, there's a temptation to leave. Hootie Ratcliffe's going to break some news, guys, in five minutes when it
0: comes to Paris Jones. Um, UVA running back injured uh, in in, in very concerning fashion against Louisville. That breaking news is less than five minutes away, so stand by. Bob Yarborough, welcome to the program. Neil Williamson, hello. Thank you kindly for joining us. Charles Benjamin Yoder, welcome to the program. Thank you kindly for joining us. You have seven different states watching the show. Ross Shore, hello. John Neal, hello. Michael Blevins, hello, just to name a few. Olivia Branch, hello. Thank you kindly for joining us. This is a, fit, this is a very applicable, applicable comment and I think a fair question. Uh, this is coming from Stephen who's watching the program outside Nashville, he says. I understand what Radcliffe is saying when it comes to the coaching staff having job security now. I echo what he said about their job security since they're only two years in. Ask him a follow-up question if you could, please. If the coaching staff loses Calandria and the two other players he mentions, will the job security then come to the forefront with the athletic department?
1: Wow. Um.
0: Because they have the last-ranked recruiting class as of now in the ACC.
1: Right. Uh, Although they did... Pick up, did, pick up a 2025 commitment, a four star. Yeah, yeah that, that that was a good that was a good indication that, that a kid of that magnitude would commit a Richmond wide receiver uh, less than 24 hours after uh, uh, getting poleaxed by the Hokies. But um, then again, they have to hold on to him for two years. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think that if the, even if they lost those guys. I, I don't necessarily think the administration would blame it on the coaching staff. They would probably write it off to NIL money and opportunities that had likely better programs. I don't know that the coaches can do anything to prevent that any more than they could last year when they lost uh, uh, uh Cypress to Florida State and Nick Jackson to... Uh, Iowa, uh, the big center to Michigan two years ago who turned out to be an All-American. Well, he was an All-American here, but he won the Outland Trophy and another big award at Michigan. Um, If you'll notice, all those guys, for the most part, left for better programs because, again, I think they wanted to win, have a shot at being in the playoffs or go to a big bowl game. Um, I don't know how much money had to do with that. I'm sure there was probably a played a role with some of them, but uh, you don't, ne- you never really know that until you talk to them. Uh, but I, I, I don't think that that would be the camel that break the straw that breaks the camel's back. Uh, I, I think the administration would say, well, there's really nothing we could do about that at this point. And again, until Virginia, and and they may not, they may never change their philosophy. I don't know, but it's awfully hard to compete now without doing that. I, I had a long conversation with another media guy after the game Saturday night in the parking lot about <clears throat> the way some other schools are doing it because he's he, he covers some other teams as well. And uh, some of the stories are amazing. A couple of high school kids uh, left us, are leaving the state to get play elsewhere. And somebody said, well, "Why can't we get them?" They said, "Because you didn't have two hundred thousand dollars to pay them right out of high school." I mean, it, it, it's it's bananas out there, Jerry. And it's uh, uh, essentially minor league pro football. Yeah, it really is. I mean, everybody is a free agent. Yeah. Uh, there, there, there doesn't seem any, doesn't even seem to be any rules. There's no loyalty. And the tampering, from what I understand, is at an all time high, and, and the NCAA can't police it. They're they're not big enough. They don't have the staff. What are you going to do? Unless you join in and become part of the madness and. Virginia so far has resisted that.
0: Um, more comments coming in here. Um, this is another question when it comes to the NIL. Uh, thank you kindly for watching the program. Laura, she's watching in Richmond, and she says, why haven't we upped our NIL infrastructure at this program?
1: Well, I, I think they are examining the situation. Um, I think that's one of the reasons maybe that they brought Wally Walker back and, and we hope to have him on a future show once he gets settled here you know him known him for For a long time long long time and one of the most one of the best guys you'll ever run into uh highly successful in everything that he's ever attempted and uh this will be a challenge to to see I, i i don't know exactly what his role is i know it's all a lot of it is about money getting money into the program But I I don't know how much um, they're going to revisit NIL and how much they want to develop it. I I don't have the answer to that. I wish I did. Um, All we know is that Virginia says we want to do it the right way, which might not be the best way. And they're going to have to take a long look at that because they're getting beat for recruits. They're going to get beat in the transfer portal until they make up their mind whether they want to compete for these people or not.
0: Kevin Yancey Washington, Waynesboro. He says this program is always reactive and never proactive. And he also highlights this in Waynesboro. Mr. Kevin Yancey, am I the only one that sees that everyone that leaves here does vastly better after leaving? I respect the comment. I will highlight uh, Mr. Washington, the wide receiver, having much more success when he arrived in Charlottesville after leaving Northwestern as a counterpoint to your comment it's and, not always the
1: case don't forget jelani woods yeah i mean he tight uh, end from oklahoma state great, great one year here right and ended up uh, being a pro uh, yeah was drafted fairly fairly high
0: also can highlight brennan armstrong after leaving now granted you can make the argument that brennan armstrong was a product of Bronco's system and when he headed to raleigh he didn't have Bronco's system he did have his offensive coordinator Um, and he struggled um, certainly this year. Um, Put the comments in the feed. We'll relay them live on air. Uh, This is one that comes from southwestern Virginia. Is the scoreboard an indication of how far these programs are a part of each other? I'm a UVA fan in southwestern Virginia. I'm surrounded by Hokies, and it was difficult for me to go to work on Monday because everyone knows how much I support Virginia and its football team. By the end of the day on Monday, I was razzed and made fun of so much, it was one of those days that I wanted to forget.
1: I don't think the chasm is as deep between the two programs as the score indicated the other day, and again, I thought this would be a fairly somewhat even football game. I thought Tech would be favored, and I wouldn't have been shocked if they had won by a couple of touchdowns, but... The manner in which they dominated the game was shocking to me um, i don't think there's any question that Virginia Tech invests more and cares more about football than they do than they do here in Charlottesville. Their fan base is reflective of that if i mean. They haven't exactly had the most glorious season in the world, but you can't get a ticket to Virginia Tech games. Um, You look at the stands at Scott Stadium and it's somewhat pathetic. We've mentioned that a while ago. And, again, I don't know what the answer to that is uh, unless you can produce uh, a consistently successful program that wins every year. Um, and you have to build that kind of rabid feeling amongst the base. I don't know that that's. I don't know that that. I, I don't. I don't even know if that does it or not. So, uh, a former UVA administrator, and I know some people didn't like the guy, but I had uh, he, he was uh, brilliant in many ways, and uh, John Oliver. And he once told me something, and and I. I could see where he's coming from. He said, if you look at a lot of the kids in our schools, a lot of them didn't participate in sports in high school. They were worried about academics. They were concerned chiefly with their GPA and their SAT scores and would lock themselves in a room and cry if they failed a math test. And he said they, they didn't get involved in sports. So when they got here, they didn't have a sports background to Rely on so a lot of them just continued through college, didn't care about sports, and when they graduated, they didn't care about sports. So that's not the way it is. I think at most institutions. And his point was, you know, a lot of the Virginia's alumni just aren't sports fans, and it's reflective. Uh, and it certainly. A broad general swipe at, at stuff because there are some who are as passionate as you're going to find anywhere. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Looking at one across I, the table. My
0: brother, and my dad. I mean, we were crying in our. Be- my brother and I were crying in our beers.
1: Yeah, but you probably were a sports fan before you ever came to Virginia. Yeah, I'm diehard sports. Yeah, fan. Yeah. yeah. But a lot of people are not, and. Uh, I mean, I, I could see his point, and it, it has some validity to it, and I think that's a partial explanation as, as to why the fan base here is not the same as the fan base in Virginia Tech or NC State or Clemson or, or some other places.
0: We've got uh, some breaking news for you here. Um, Jerry Ratcliffe, the show is yours. On uh, a running back we've all followed closely since his injury in Louisville, Paris Jones.
1: Paris Jones, uh, good news, Wahoo Nation. Paris Jones is coming home today. He's coming back to Charlottesville. Thank the Lord. From Louisville. Uh, they embargoed that. We knew about it yesterday, but they embargoed that news until today at 11 a.m. Um, so glad to see that he's coming back home. And uh, I, I'm assuming that he's coming back to UVA to, to get rehab uh, Rather than going home-home into northern Virginia, I, I could be wrong about that, but I know he is leaving Louisville today. Uh, there will be a press conference at one thirty, I think, via Zoom uh, for media today to uh, a lot of the Louisville uh, doctors who have worked with him since his terrible accident on, uh, I guess it was November the 9th, I believe, at Louisville when he uh, had a, a violent collision with the Louisville defensive back and was left motionless on the field. Um, they will be on that to uh, explain everything in detail about uh, his situation. And so it's just great news that he's able to come home. I know there's a sense of reliefment, a relief uh, by him and his family that he was able to leave Louisville and come home. He's been there ever since he got hurt uh, with a family, at least one family member. So it's uh, just great news in a, in a time where Virginia could use a little great news. And uh, we would encourage you to look at my website today. We have a story on there about uh, his mom started a GoFundMe page, and they're asking for help from Virginia's Wahoo Nation too.
0: I'd love to give you props on this, and and you're an extremely humble man, so I want to give you some props on this. Um, Jerry Ratcliffe, his namesake website jerryratcliffe.com, f- huge following, jerryratcliffe.com. He wrote a story about um, Paris Jones, his road to recovery, and he highlighted on jerryratcliffe.com the GoFundMe link when he. Launched the story, the GoFundMe, which has a goal of $25,000, had just a few thousand raised. We're talking 10 or 12% of the total goal. We're at now $10,455. The man and his following and his reputation has amplified the link, the GoFundMe link, and he's nearly 3x the funds that have been raised. So props to the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer. I want to highlight that this young man is legitimately recovering and going through physical therapy for the use of his hands. I'm going to pass it back to you. So if you have an opportunity to donate, or you have a willingness to donate, or you have the funds to donate, you will be helping a young man, this is emotional as a dad here, you understand this, yeah. recover Potentially, the use of his hands and his body from a sport and football that he played.
1: Yeah, we've done this for four or five other Virginia athletes in the past and helped them tremendously, and including the Reese Beekman's family when uh, his older brother, who was a wide receiver at Washington State, died unexpectedly, and uh, so uh, we strongly believe in and letting people know how they can help these families and these kids because they're not pro athletes. They're putting their bodies on the line for the sake of their school. And uh, so I think they deserve all the assistance they can get. And uh, again, uh, I'm sure at, at the 130 press conference today, they'll give us more detail into what Um, his problems are and, and and what he has to overcome um, certainly it's not easy and uh, I know that personally because my son was uh, paralyzed in a accident when he was 18 years old and uh, I see the struggles he goes through every day and, and uh, Paris uh, I don't think has uh, the magnitude of that but he does have a different injury that could be in some ways worse. So from what we gather, uh, again, I, I won't speculate on that until that's just going off what his mother said in the GoFundMe request. And uh, we'll let the doctors explain all that this afternoon.
0: Bob Yarborough watching the program. He says, please, please, please support the GoFundMe. Paris Jones um, is a solid guy from the King of Redfields watching the program. You got 11 states on the Jerry and Jerry show right now. Hootie, um, the Paris Jones injury put a lot of things in perspective for me, especially as a father of two. Mm -hmm. Being a parent, as you know, as any of the viewers and listeners know, changes your outlook. Everyone on this planet, a son or daughter of someone, and a parent's bond with their kids is often... um, I mean, I have not even difficult time describing the love I feel for our boys. My wife as well. So it really uh, put things in perspective from the significance of what we're doing on this planet, how precious life is. Put this in perspective for me here that folks that are naysayers with the NIL or hate on the NIL, these guys earning some money, I mean, these guys are playing football, and they're risking their hands and being able to walk. Paris Jones has been in Louisville for a couple of weeks, away from his family.
1: Almost a month.
0: Almost a month. So, I mean, when you're risking this, kind of, this type of injury, it just puts in perspective for me so many things, including maybe this compensation thing is the right thing for some of these young men who have no shot at pro careers.
1: Yeah, and, and I have nothing against the NIL. As long as it's regulated, I, I same. Just, I just think it's uh, an unfair playing field right now, and it puts some schools at disadvantages, depending on their philosophies. And uh, if it's an, a level playing field for everybody, which is what the NCAA was originally created for, was to make it a le- level playing field, um, then I have no problem with it. But. Uh, some of these injuries can be life altering and um, y- you hate to see any kid go through it. I- I'm sure there are a few guys injured to some magnitude as- of this every season. Oh, definitely. And uh, not just college, but high school as well. And uh, we've seen some horrible things over the years. Uh, I mean, I go back to the Darryl Stingley days, uh, they did a nice piece on that on uh, one of the football halftimes this weekend. And uh, Nick Bonacani's son, uh the famous Miami Dolphins linebacker, uh was paralyzed and uh yeah, I mean it's sad. There was a there was a kid at Maryland uh a few years ago that I, I knew briefly. The Maryland staff at that time had uh heard about my son and and reached out to him and tried to uh help in any way they could and so uh, i got to meet the the kid at maryland i think he was a former quarterback who was paralyzed and in a chair um i think he was worse off actually uh than most and so you you know these kids give it all for their school and their fan base and so it's it's nice to see the fan base give something back to them
0: Well said. Well said. Um, The breaking news now hitting the uh, uh, legacy and traditional media outlets. Um, We broke that news here on the Jerry and Jerry show. Judah Wickhauer, if we can put the lower third. We shift now to hoops. 11.15, hour in. we got to talk basketball. Number 14, Texas A&M. Hits the John Paul Jones Arena tomorrow. A 7.15 tip. You're looking at one of the top 15 teams in the country, 14 to be exact, playing a UVA hoops team that's still searching for its identity. We'll start open-ended before we get to specifics. What do you make of number 14 Texas A&M coming to town tomorrow night?
1: Well, they're, uh, they're big and they're physical. Uh, they're not intimidated by going on the road. They beat Ohio State on the road and someone else uh, doesn't come to mind, but their only loss came to Florida uh, Atlantic, which is number thirteen, 13 a spot 13 ahead of them in the country, yeah, in the country and, and legitimate team was in the went deep in the NCAA tournament last year. Uh, an old familiar face coming to town, Buzz Williams, That's who right. used to be the Hokies coach, and uh, he and, and Terry, uh, excuse me, uh, Tony Bennett had some uh, knockdown dragouts yes, during that span. Uh, so I'm sure it's going to be a war and. I think uh, probably Tony Bennett and his staff, one of the main things they're going to be concerned about is the rebounding. They were uh, their last two games against Wisconsin. They were out, rebounded 48 to 21, uh, and were pummeled. The next game, which they barely escaped, beating West Virginia in the last seconds, uh, they were out-rebounded out 41-28. to 28. And so Buzz comes in here with a pretty big team, a pretty physical team, uh, led in size and I think rebounding by uh, Henry Coleman from Richmond, Trinity High School, who we thought for a long time that he was coming to Virginia. And I don't know what the determining factors were, but uh, I, I interviewed him after his uh, NBA Top 100 camp here at JPJ, and he had talked about how he interrupted his prom date uh, that night, and they watched Virginia's uh, national championship, I guess, on, on his phone uh, yeah, during his prom date. So. A lot of people thought he was a perfect fit for Virginia, the perfect kind of kid. His mom's a Virginia grad. His dad has played football at Virginia Tech, but uh, he will he'll, he'll come fast and furious, and uh, they have they have a pretty balanced team uh, with, I think, some, some fairly decent experience on it and a lot of guys who can score.
0: Um, Coleman is a beast, man. 14 points a game, 8 boards a game, Shooting 72% from the floor.
1: A lot of that is probably dunks, dunks I would imagine. I would certainly imagine. 6'8", <laughs>
0: 245, a matchup nightmare. Um, keys to victory for Virginia basketball, 5-1 and one on the year. Um, which team shows up? What's the identity? Who's going to score? Uh, certainly after that Wisconsin game, maybe you point to the rebounding margin. Whereas as you highlighted last week on the Jerry and Jerry show correctly, that they just crushed the Wahoos on the boards, the Badgers. Where do you want to start?
1: Well, I, I, think, it, I think it's going to be interesting to see how he's addressed the rebounding problem since then. Um, there's only so much you can do. It's just not like anybody's going to grow another three or four inches between now and Wednesday night. But um, I, I imagine that they're going to get Leon Bond and... Ryan Dunn more involved in the rebounding. I think Dunn may be their second leading rebounder. Might even be their leading rebounder. I'm not sure. Uh, Blake Buchanan at six eleven isn't physically there yet. He's a true freshman. He'll have to go through Mike Curtis's uh, strength uh, program to to add bulk and muscle as he gets older in that job. But, um, uh, you know, Tony also asks his guards to take some responsibility rebounding, and I'm, I'm sure we'll see all all of that uh, against the Aggies on Wednesday night. Uh, some of it is philosophical because in his pack line defense, after the shot is taken, a lot of those guys get back down the floor and set up in the back line. So to make it difficult on the other team coming down, but um, it's going to be interesting to see how he addresses that going forward.
0: Uh, He's right. Ryan Dunn, the leading rebounder on this Virginia basketball team, seven boards of contests for Ryan Dunn, then a big drop. Leon Bonn at 3-8, Buchanan at 3-8, Beekman at 3-7. So this could be a rebound collective effort for this Wahoo basketball team. Hootie, I'm going to throw this to you when it comes to Leon Bonds, just scratching the surface. Looks like an X-factor waiting to happen for Tony Bennett and someone that's going to have to uh, realize some of his potential quickly for this team to emerge as a top 25, top 20, top 15 type program.
1: I agree and I think I think the sky's the limit for this kid. He's very athletic, um, has a nice wingspan, and uh, is more ready for the physical part of basketball after a year in Curtis's weight and strength program. uh, That's the reason he redshirted, and he said he didn't feel like he was physically ready for it or even mentally ready for it uh he is now and i think he truly could be the x factor in fact i was i was going to write a column about him being the x factor and i haven't written it yet but um i think he has tons of potential um been a little disappointed so far in the in some of their transfers in terms of their ability to fill it up uh, i thought their shooting would be better than what it's been certainly roadie. and it's going to have to change definitely uh, uh, they're going to have to be able to put the ball in the bucket, hit those perimeter shots yeah. when they're open, and they're getting plenty of shots. They're just not making them. I'm a little surprised that they haven't done what Mike Kucheshevsky did um, for uh, the uh, the big three point shooter they had. Uh, uh, gosh, what was his name? From Roanoke. Yeah. He was in Charlotte, grew in Charlottesville for a while. Um, anyway, they would uh, create in- elaborate screens and stuff to get him X amount of shots a game. And I, I'm surprised they haven't done a little bit more of that for McNeely because I'm talking JJ Reddick. JJ Reddick. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how it slipped through my brain, but. Um, I think they need to get McNeely more shots a game because he's, I think he's shooting 55% from three. And, I mean, the the, the guy is capable of making five to ten threes a game, I I believe. And they just got to give him more opportunities. And I'm sure defenses are geared to stop that. But that's why I think they need to look at some of those old Duke tapes and, and see how Duke freed up Reddick to get so many shots because he was the difference maker for them oh. in so many games. Yeah, carried them. Carried them, and um, there's no reason that, that uh, McNeely can't do the same thing for Virginia.
0: You mentioned the transfers, Rhodey, the guard, um, and he comes into the program into UVA with a reputation, a proven reputation of a you know high level, prolific scorer. Rhodey on the season. from the floor shooting, 50% from the free throw line, 31% from downtown. You mentioned the transfers. Let's go to Minor. Minor, perhaps the one that's most boggled um, Wahoo Nation. Jordan Minor is averaging seven minutes a contest, two points a game, one rebound a contest. He was the guy that was envisioned to be the muscle and the brawn inside coming into the year. We got to highlight Groves, Jacob Groves, 18 minutes of contest, eight points a game, 44% from downtown. He's got some upside with stretching the floor, but perhaps the one that's most perplexed me is Dante Harris. Dante Harris, 18, 19 minutes of contest, excuse me, just three and a half points a game. Is it? attributable to not enough minutes in the backcourt when it comes to Dante Harris because we saw a player from Georgetown that was in the Big East tournament, one of the top guards in the tourney. He's coming here, and he's not really – I mean, 18 minutes is something, but he's not pushing um, the backcourt for more significant playing time or crunch time minutes.
1: Yeah, I I think he's getting shots. He's just not making them. And you might check that statistically but, yeah, I I've, I've thought he would contribute a little bit more to the scoring than what he has. You're right. 30, 30% from the floor, Hootie. Yeah. He's just not making his shots. And
0: 58% from the stripe for a point guard who has the ball in his hand.
1: Yeah. Their free throw shooting is, has been... Wretched. Concerning. Yeah. And, and it needs to improve because there's going to be a lot of close games once they get in the ACC con- competition. And a lot of times, free throws are the difference. And a lot of these guys, some of these guys are pretty good at getting fouled. Reese Bigman is good at drawing fouls. Uh, so that that's something that they really drastically need to improve upon. Um, yeah, I, I, I've expected more out of Dante Harris as well. And I, I think Miner's problem goes back to defense. I don't know that he has the slides down yet and Doesn't hasn't grasped totally grasped the concept of the pack line at this point. So I think that's probably a couple things that are keeping him off the floor. Um,
0: Virginia basketball has a ACC opener on Saturday against Syracuse. So the season, the conference season starts Saturday at the John Paul Jones Arena against Syracuse. Texas A&M is tomorrow night it's a 7:15 tip it's on national television if you had five keys to victory here does it start rebounding does it second one rebounding i mean do you need to get
1: the win to me it it it's more about scoring I, I don't know that there's only x amount they can do about the rebounding i think again you're not going to get any new players you're not going to grow uh, rebounding is a mentality more than anything else. But to me, uh, the old saying, the old axiom that good shooting makes up for uh, a lot of other sins, is really rings true. And I think if these guys can shoot up to their potential, I don't think they'll have to worry. They won't be won't be that many balls to rebound. That's right. Uh, but I, I I really think that. If they can become uh, more of a threat from the perimeter, that it's going to solve a lot of their problems, and that can come and go, as Tony Bennett will say. Um, but I still think that it's necessary to to fill it up, and I think that's going to be the key for the for the first time in 47 years, Jim Boeheim is not going to be on the floor for Syracuse. That's going to be an interesting concept. The odd. I, um, I I have a good relationship with the, some of the people at the Syracuse School of Journalism up there, and I'm doing three interviews this week with some of their students at various, I think, radio, uh, a podcast, and, a, and a, a school newspaper article. So I like to try to get back to college journalism. Even though I never took a journalist. I know, session, I was gonna I like say, it. right. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, it's important to me to try to give back. And uh, some of their kids have told me that they're not playing the standard 2 3 zone that made Beheim famous and separated him from everybody else, but they still haven't totally shelved it. They have some of it, um, but they're playing uh, some man to man and some of those principles now. It'll be uh, interesting. There's a local kid, Justin Taylor. Uh, Buster. Buster Taylor's son. Yeah. He uh, used to own Riverside. Uh, mm-hmm. Is on the Syracuse team and playing with, I think he's scoring around six points a game. And uh, it be nice uh, for him to be able to come back home and see his friends and family.
0: I love it, Hootie. We'll close the show on Virginia Sports Hall of Fame news. We've got uh, Wahoos heading into the Hall of Fame where they're going to rub shoulders with one of my favorite, if not my favorite, Hall of Famer, the man sitting across from me right here and Jerry Hootie-Rackliff. Big-time names going in here.
1: Yeah, and I was so blessed to go in last year with Ryan Zimmerman and Sean Moore and Jimmy Laycock and several others. But uh, this year, uh, Greg Littlepage, who has spent, uh, gosh, 40, I think 40-some years, in the UVA athletic department is an assistant coach and an assistant AD and then AD for I think 16 years uh, is going to be uh, inducted in April with the new class uh, along with Chris Long son of Howie Long brother of Kyle Long and Howie Long Jr. and St. Anne's Belfield Academy graduate son of Diane Long let's, yeah. we don't want to forget mom Right, uh, St. Anne's Uh, UVA All-American defensive end, number two in the draft, almost number one in the draft. And um, Monica Wright-Rogers, who uh, tore it up for Debbie Ryan's women's teams uh, back in the day, uh, is also going in. Along with two other people I know who are good friends, Dave Smith, who was the longtime SID at Virginia Tech. I think he was there for around 40 years. And uh, Paul Woody, the excellent columnist for the Richmond News Leader and Times Dispatch, used to cover the Redskins. He did. Uh, So uh, congratulations to all those guys and uh, the others whose names I forget. uh, But uh, uh, it was new. They all came out yesterday. There's nine members in this class, and uh, I salute all of them.
0: Hootie Ratcliffe um, in that Virginia Sports Hall of Fame as well, guys. The Virginia Sports Hall of Famer himself and the star of the Jerry and Jerry show, is the namesake of jerryrackliff.com, the publisher and writer. And and Hootie will close with anywhere you want to go. Um, Your uh, schedule is busy as always.
1: Well, it's going to slow down a little bit now that football is over with, although football never really ends. It's uh, continuous. We'll be following the transfer portal and recruiting and all that. Uh, Again, the the Isaiah, Isaiah Robinson kid from Trinity Episcopal, from Richmond, in Richmond, uh, that that's a big get. That's he's a huge a, get. Four star. Yeah, six uh,
0: ranked player in the Commonwealth,
1: and chose Virginia over Penn State, Virginia Tech, and North Carolina among others. So that that uh, that was huge for that's them. a huge
0: get. Uh, this is for the class of twenty twenty five.
1: Yes, and now they now they got to hang on to him, right? Uh, so we'll be uh, having a watchful eye on football and covering basketball. Um, Sam break will be coming up pretty soon, so this week is, is big for them. Uh, like you said, there's two huge home games against A&M and Syracuse. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens.
0: He's amazing. He's the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer. Check out JerryRackliff.com. Do it now. Do it often. I'm on the website at, literally every day, JerryRackliff.com. You um, are tailor made for this long forum content setting. I mean, you have so much to offer the viewers and listeners. I'm very grateful for your time. He's recently haircutted, Judah Wickower's <laughs> recently haircutted as well. I don't know if you have a three-shot ready, but if you don't, that's totally fine. Wick Cowers our director and producer. He makes us look good, so we can come here and talk about teams and sports that we love to watch and follow. Uh, my name is Jerry Miller. Visit jerryrackliff.com. The show airs Tuesdays at 10, 15 a.m. right here on the Isle of Seville Network. Oh, Judah is on camera right there. Look at him smiling right there. Look at there. that, <laughs> yeah.
1: It looks like he stepped right out of GQ, man. Oh, uh, look at that. Huge fans of Judah. He's very <laughs> humble
0: himself, <laughs> Judah Wickham. Um, so thank you kindly for joining us. We love our fans. We, we do love, love our. We fans. love our viewers. We absolutely are grateful for you. The uh, I Love Seville show is up at twelve thirty. Thank you kindly for joining us on the Jerry and Jerry show. So
1: long, everybody. That was nice. Yeah, was, we covered a lot of ground, though.